Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 22 and verse 19 and 20. Tonight is communion service, and we're gonna, I'm going to basically give you a message around the, commun- the two passages of communion and kind of break it down for you and let you understand what these six words mean. You'll find these six words in the very last part of verse 19. It says, this do in remembrance of me. But let's go ahead and read verses 19 and 20. It says, and he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. We're going to talk about communion. We're going to break all this down and we're going to break it into four different parts. This, we're going to look at the word this, we're going to look at the word do, we're going to look in remembrance and we're going to look of me. And I want you to see what these are. We'll look at both passages. We'll look at this one and the one in Corinthians. But as we break this down, I want to talk to you about the first one, and it's the word this. Um, this, when he's referring to this, do and remembrance to me, if you normally, I, I don't, I've not even, I can't remember if this even says it. On most of your communion tables, it'll say that right in front of it. This do and communion to me. This do and remembrance of me. And I just want to talk to you about what communion is when it comes to this. It starts with giving thanks. Look at verse number 19, and it says this, and he took bread and gave thanks. What's interesting is when he gives thanks here, he's giving thanks. And yes, this is talking about praying, but it's also talking about what, what has happened in his life. And he had just got back from praying. And, and even in this, when it comes to the second part, when he talks about the cup, he had actually told the Lord to take this cup away from him if he could, but he, he's willing to do what he needed to do for us. But he's always thankful. And, and you know, I love this, this time of the year. I went to Walmart, I think, two days ago, and I was looking for... The, the Thanksgiving, cut the, all the Thanksgiving, and they already have Christmas stuff out. They've bypassed Thanksgiving, and, and, and nothing really for Thanksgiving. They have a couple wreaths there. But you know what? I am so thankful for what God has done for us. You know, we have so many things to be thankful for. Paul writes this, he says, in Philippians, he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Now he's talking about is praying again. And then he says this, with Thanksgiving. When you're praying, you know, some, most of our prayers are things that are going bad, things are going awry, and we've got to figure out what to do with them. But he says, when you pray, you've got to pray with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. He also says in Colossians, Paul writes, um, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So in this he's saying, listen, you're going to pray, but you're going to, you're going to, you're going to accept that God's going to give you what you need, and it's going to be a thankful spirit. And I, and I think of blessings, I always think of Psalm 100. Psalm 100 says this, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his names. It, it's, it's amazing, most Baptists don't want to be quiet when, when you talk to them, except when you say, do you have a blessing? So tonight, we're going we're gonna to prove that theory right. I want four or five blessings that God's done for you. I, I am thankful um, that God allows me to serve him. You know, just a, sometimes a wasted vessel, and yet he still uses something that's, that's not clean. And I am so thankful that he loves me despite my faults. That's my blessing. So I need five more. We're not gonna, if you want this service to end, we gotta have five. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take hands. Who's got one? All right. All right, yes, sir. Oh, oh. Amen. So if she has a girl, will you be a grandma? No, no, all right. 
He, had to, he, he looked at least on that. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so when will we find out what it is? Okay. All right. All right. What a blessing. What a blessing. All right. How, how old is the, old, the youngest one right now? Seven. Seven. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. So any other blessings? We got four more. Don't look at everybody else. Just someone tell me a blessing. I was blessed by that song, and it just started, you start thinking about everything God's done. I'm going to just keep talking until I see someone raise their hand. All right, here we go. All right, it's a birthday boy. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. The church. We got three more. Yes, ma'am. Oh, we got two right there. All right, go ahead. Your family. All of them. Uh, <laughs> all right. Good. All right. Good, bad, and ugly. She loves all of them. All right. So, Mandy. Amen. Amen. We have clothes to wear and shoes for our feet. Mm-hmm. We have food and a home. Mm-hmm. But the best thing of all, we're going to see him one day. Amen. Amen. And I'm thankful that God has kept his hand on this old boy these last few months. Amen. I'm very blessed. Amen. All right. Lindsay, you had your hand up too. Two years of marriage. Josh, you might want to say something too. Josh, what do you have? Very, ditto. All right. Did she just elbow you? All right. You know, this, this seems like a weird blessing, and, and, and I appreciate you giving your blessings, but um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, um, has got to have a surgery. And um, that we, know it's, we know that she's got endometriosis, but they're also taking a, a, a biopsy of a cyst. And she might be following suit of what my wife had to go through. And so at 25 years old, she might have a full hysterectomy. And you, you don't understand why God does the things he does. But he is God. He knows what's best. And so I just want to thank the Lord that she's at least found out about it, knows what it is. And now they've got to deal with what they're going to do. And, you know, she, doesn't real, she talks a little bit to me, but she doesn't talk full detail. Of course, me being her dad, she'd probably feel uncomfortable a little bit about it. But um, you know what? God's still God. And he knows exactly what you need. And I would much rather take it than have her take it. I'd much rather go through pain than her go through pain. And so you just keep her in your prayers. Her name is Megan. But you know what? We are blessed. Even, even in the midst of a storm, we're blessed. And so God knows exactly what he's doing. We have truly been blessed. And, and when we look at the communion, going back to this, you know, we have been blessed. And we're thankful for that. But if you keep reading in this, you know, there's two things that communion deal with. And communion deals with taking of the bread and the, and the drinking of the cup. And, 
And those just, I'm just going to pretend that no one knows what that is, but in its own definition, in here it says in verse number 19, the taking of the bread, it says, this is my body which is given for you. Wow. You know, if you think about the crucifixion right after this happens, he, he, he gives his body. And as I was thinking of some of the things that he went through, he was whipped. You know, it's one thing to, as a child, to get disciplined. It's another thing as an adult to get whipped for, scur for being scourged with the way that he was. It was a very painful thing. The cat of nine tails is another. They only whipped him, but they also beat him with the cat of nine tails. It was 39 times, and these Romans knew what they were doing. They, they would destroy somebody, but they, they knew if they did 40, a lot of times people would pass away. And yet they still beat him. He was punched. I can't imagine being punched and not, not showing any retaliation to it. But the whole time he's thinking about this when he tells his disciples in verse number 19, this is my body which is given for you. And then the plucking of the beard. I just can't even understand the pain that that must have done. And then one other thing I was thinking of is when they, they put the crown of thorns around him. And I've seen actually the thorns that they would have used at that time. The thorns two to three inches long. And they put it on his head and then they take a reed and they hit it and they mash it on his head. And while he was doing this, this is the bread that we're going to take tonight. This is what he did for us. And then you go down to the second one, you have the taking of the bread, and then you have the drinking of the cup. And as you read in verse number 20, it says, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is in the New Testament my, is my blood, which is shed for you. And you can go back to some of these things, because when he was beaten, he was shedding blood for you. Of course, when he was crucified, he was shedding blood for you. The crown of thorns on his head, he was shedding blood for you. Probably the plucking of the beard, he was shedding blood. And he did all these things for us. And I, and I always find it interesting that that one centurion, when he dies, makes a statement because he's down by him and he says, truly, this must be the Son of God. Well, what was the difference? Well, he had seen the darkness, he had heard what he had said, but he also saw his actions, his actions to lay his hands down and to get the thorns, the, the, the spikes in his hand and get the spikes in his feet. He did all that for us. And so when you take the, take the cup, it's not just grape juice. It, it, it's exactly, he's, it's a portrayal of what he did for us. He, his body was subjected to much pain. His, his um, blood was shed for us. And I've shared this at Easter, but when someone passes away on the, as a crucifixion, they basically, they cannot breathe. That's why the men will come by and break their legs so that they can't pull themselves up to breathe. Their, their lungs will fill with fluid. And it's a very painful death. And I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to die in front of a bunch of people. And here he's in front of everybody, sacrificing everything. And yet enough that one, one man eight foot away from him denies him and one man eight foot away from him accepts him. And there's a man that's watching the whole thing and people are sitting around and people are wagging their heads. They're looking at him in disgust saying, hey, if you can get down from here, get down from there. And as I look at that, I think, man, he did this all for me and he did this all for you. This is what communion is all about. So it says this. The next one says do. Let's go to 1 Corinthians and I want to show you the act of, of what communion is. And so often some of these verses are forgotten. If you go and start in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it starts in verse 23, but we're going to go all the way down to verse number 27 because he gives us a warning. 
this do, the things that we're, the thing that we're about to do. And we believe in open um, communion. If you're not a member of our church, you can still take communion, but you've got to do it in the right heart. You know, there are some churches that you've got to be a member of the church to take place. That's not what this is about. But go in verse number 27. It says in verse 27, it says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthy shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. So he explained what it is, but he's saying if you're doing that, you're making a mockery of what I've done. It's a warning. And he even backs it up a little bit further. It's not even a warning. He tells us in verse number 28, I think this is important because right between 27 and 29 is that verse 28. And look at what verse 28 says. It says, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We'll talk about that when we go through the communion. But you're supposed to understand that you're supposed to be right. If you have ought against people, if, you, if you've done something wrong and you haven't got it confessed, you need to be right with the Lord when you do this. It's an examination of who we are. Because in verse, the next verse tells us that there are some people that, that eat it unworthily. Look at verse number 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now it's talking about damnation and, 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 and doing it unworthy. We've got to make sure why we're doing this. I think God would look down better if, if the bread was passed and the cup was passed and you knew something was right and said, no, I can't take this right now than to just take it because everybody else is taking it. And I'm not trying to get everybody to confess their sins to me. I don't want to know them. That's what Christ is here about. And this, he's talking to his disciples. And, and as, he, as he goes through this in the Last Supper, he tells them, and he knows Judas is there. He, I mean, he knows Peter's there, and Peter's going to deny him. He knows that Peter's going to, in a weak moment, three times deny who he is. Yet he still loved him. He still cared for him. He cares for us even in our weakest moment. And so here, here he's t- talking about that. And go to ver- it's talking about weak in verse number 30. Now this, this is interesting. It says, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. He's telling the church of Corinth that they're doing this so much that there are, some of them are doing it for the wrong reasons. You'll see it in a couple of verses, even what some of them are doing. He says some of them are sick or weak because they've done this. Some of them are sick. And then it says, and, and some sleep. What's that referring to is death. This is a serious aspect of our church. We do it every fifth Sunday of the month on a, on a PM service. But it reminds us what Christ has done for us. He surely loves us, doesn't he? He wants us to do things for the right reason. Weak and, 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 and sleep. It's, it's, I'm telling you, this is a serious thing that we're about to do. I remember growing up, thank God, I remember growing up, I used to think it was fun when the communion would come around. All of you have been there. If you were, I was not saved when I was, and you got those little cups. You thought, this is the only time I get to use these cups. But those cups meant, mean so much more than the grape juice that's in them. The bread means so much more than the bread that you'll eat. We've got to realize that God has something for us. Go to verse number 31. What do he wants you to do? Because he's told you in verse 28 that you need to examine yourself. Verse 31 so says, for if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If we get ourselves right, a clean slate. A clean slate. I remember in college sometimes they would get up and say, someone got in trouble for this, and then they would, they would say, I want you to come confess. And when they, they, would, they would have a big revival meeting, and they'd say, you need to come confess. And, and eventually five or six people would come forward when they only knew that one had done it. I remember thinking, oh, my word, is he talking to me? I don't think I've done this. 
But you know what we need for Christ? We need a clean slate. We need to make sure we've got everything the right, in right order. Verse 32 says, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. I like that word, chastened of the Lord. What does that mean? That God will correct you. How many of you like correction? I loved it when my, dad, when my mom would always say to me, you wait till your dad gets home. I, I'll be frank, honest with you, I, I really wasn't looking forward to him coming home. I was praying for his car to break down, his tire to blow up or something where it would be delayed, where maybe he would not remember what I had done. Because I didn't like that correcting. But now as an older person, I'm thankful for the correction. And you know what? When God corrects you, it's a much better correction than an fa- earthly father. Because it, have, it has heavenly probability with it. It's trying to get you to do what you need to do. And God is always teaching you. If God is not teaching you, you better reflect back and say, why is God not teaching me something? Because he should always be teaching you. Through his word, through the things that happen in your life, through other people. He's always there to correct us. He's a chastening of the Lord. Then it says in verse number 33, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. It's talking about having the support of each other. Having the support of each other. Now, in the New Testament... The next verse kind of blows my mind with what he's talking about because it wouldn't happen with the way that we do communion. But if you look at verse 35, it shows you where this church, it's funny because when you study the the book of uh, the church of Corinth, they were not a good church. Paul had to correct them on many things. They talk about speaking in tongues. They talk about the women's role. But look at verse number 34. It says, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Apparently in the church of Corinth, these people were coming there and they were getting their meal from the communion table. And that is why when it goes back to it and says some are weak, some are sick, And some have died because of what's going on because they were not looking at it as the body and blood of Christ. They were looking at it as a meal. So this do, when we do this, it's talking about all these things together and we've got to do it in the right order. Then I want you to do in remembrance. It says this do in remembrance. If you study in remembrance, remembrance means to ponder. He says, I want you to ponder this because when he's talking to his disciples, his disciples don't know that what's about ready to happen on the forefront in his life. Christ knew what was going to happen, right? He knew he was going to walk and he was going to be on Golgotha. He knew all these things. He knew these trials were going to come up. He knew who was going to talk to him. He knew all these things. He knew who was going to beat him. He knew who was going to pluck his beard. He knew all these things. But the disciples didn't know that. But you know what? All of a sudden, they'd look back in retrospect and say, okay, I remember what he said. I remember what he taught me. I remember that he's talking about his body. I remember when he's talking about his blood. And they would ponder that. They would think on these things. See, I wasn't there when he was crucified and he died and rose again. I wasn't there. But I can tell you, through my salvation, I was there when it became not a head knowledge anymore, but a heart knowledge. And the Holy Spirit indwelled me. I remember I was in a park. I was a college student. I remember just getting it. And I knew all the verses. I knew everything about it. And I had a head knowledge, but I didn't have a heart knowledge. And then all of a sudden you start thinking in remembrance of me. You remember what you were taught. And remember all the stories of what Christ had done for you. No longer was he just a man that was a great man that was walking on the water. He was my Savior walking on the water. 
He was the one that could get up and calm the storms. He was the one that could make a rascal a normal person. He would give me the sense to, make, to understand what he had for me. Sometimes you'll look at people and you'll go, I don't think they could ever get saved with what they've done. I was witnessing to somebody here that was working out here, and, and I remember talking with him, and, and, and I, I said, man, I'd love for you to come to church. I'm going to follow up on him again, but he said, I, I don't think I could come because I have tattoos all over my body. I said, you know, people in church won't care about that. Amen. You know who's got him to believe that? Satan. Because he looks at his tattoos and, and, and he looks at them as something that he did when he wasn't right. And I want to tell you something right now. Satan will do, play any, anything to you to get you not to do what's right. You know, Satan never plays fair. Never does. Never does. I remember when I, when I got saved, I, I got it settled and I thought, okay, what are people going to think? I had traveled with a singing group. I had led people to the Lord when I, was a young, when I was a young child. I was in church when I was growing up. I wasn't right, of course. But I thought, what would people think if I got up and told them that I got saved in college? And there comes a point where you just got to say, it doesn't matter what people think. I've got to tell people what, what God's done for me. And I remember, I remember going and I remember calling somebody that I truly loved and they told me, well, I can just tell you who it is, my mother. I called my mother and said, Mom, I got this settled and I thank the Lord for it. And I, and I always looked at her as a godly person. I still, I still do. But at that one moment, she had a weak moment. She said, you were saved when you were a young child. And I was like, Mom. I said, I don't, I don't. And what it was is that she wanted the glorification of, hey, I led my child to Christ. But I told her, I said, I don't remember it. I know what I have now, and it's something totally different than what I said I had before. And, and then I told her, I said, I've got to get baptized. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever been, ever, when you got baptized, how many people were there. But the church we went to, everybody knew who I was. I played basketball. I sang. I, I did all these things. And it's a church running 3,500. And, we, and I'm standing in line with all these people. And of course, I'm one of the tallest people. And they, ma they, made my, they said my name because they baptized so many people at this church that when they would baptize, they would do it at the very end of the service and there would be 10, 20, 30 people be baptized. I'm in the middle of them and I remember when they called my name, people turned around and looked. And I could just hear that, that devil in my mind going, I told you people wouldn't believe you. But on the, the other side, I turned around and I, and I told the devil, I said, I don't care what you think, I've got to do this because this is what the Bible tells me to do. This do in remembrance I remember when he did what he did for me. I am so thankful now when I read the Gospels and I see that he died on a cross for me. He rose again for me. He shed his blood for me. He gave his body for me. He did all these things for me. This is the remembrance that I have. My salvation. And the last two, two words are very important because so often in our lives we do things for the wrong reasons. Amen? He didn't just end it and say, this do in remembrance. He said those last two words. And those last two words are very important. He says to his disciples, this do in remembrance of me. Little did they know that, 
that Philip was going to be sitting there and, and Thomas was going to be sitting there and they, Thomas would not believe unless he saw him. And I think it's very interesting what Christ said to him when Philip was with the, when um, Thomas was with the people again. He said, do you want to stick your hands in my, in my palms and in my side? And what was his reaction to him? No, Lord, I don't need to do that. He had outspoken what he should have, should have said because he had no faith. Because his life was destroyed. He had followed this man, gave everything up, and, and now he's dead and gone, and we have no idea what, where it is. And you've got to understand, the Jews and the Romans, they were trying to do all these things. They put that sign above him that, that said, Here lies King of the Jews, and they were trying to destroy him. And even when you read the Scriptures, you see where the people would come, the, the, the scribes and Pharisees came to them and said, Listen, we've got to guard his body, because it was not a normal thing to have soldiers by a tomb. They had to guard his body, and then, then they told those soldiers to say that someone took the body. So in, in, in Thomas's mind, all these things are going through, and then all of a sudden, Jesus appears in front of all of them. And then he realizes what it's all about. It's not about me. It's not what I've done for the Lord. It's what the Lord's done for me. And so when you look at your blessings, you've got to understand that. And we see these pictures of Christ. And they've, they've tried to portray his death. And you can't even understand how he was destroyed in front of everybody. Humiliated in front of everybody. The pictures don't even amount to what he did. And then that sign, here lies the king of the Jews. Man, here's the king of the Jews. And who put that up there? The Jews did. And, and, and the kings did because they wanted to show who he was and how powerful they were. Little did they know when, when Pilate died, you know what, three days later, he didn't rise again. Herod didn't rise again. No, the high priest did not rise again, but our high priest rose again. And, and when you look at this story and you say, this do, this communion do, what we're supposed to do in, in remembrance, thinking about what he's done, it's all about him and not about me. And that's what communion's all about. Communion is, you hear some churches say that it literally turns into the body and blood of Christ. It does not. It's a symbol of what Christ is. And as we take it tonight, I want you to remember that, that this communion, do what we're doing in remembrance. Remember what he's done for you. Ponder that. And it's about him, not me. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all the things that you've done. Lord, as we get into the, the communion, may we truly remember what this is all about. Communion is not about me. It's not about the deacons that are passing this out. This do in remembrance of me talking about Christ. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for suffering a punishment that you already knew what was going to happen before. You knew the pain you were going to feel before you felt it. And yet still you came. Golgotha, praying Gethsemane, all the things that you did, the people seeing, the people, people mocking, the people wagging their heads at you. May we remember what you've done for us. 
In just a second, Lord, we're, we're going to have an invitation, Lord, and may we just understand what you've done for us. Guide us in ways only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. With, just stay seated in your, in your seat. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to have Lee sing two verses. While he's singing these two verses, I need you to just pray and examine yourself and understand what communion is all about. This do in remembrance of me.